So we'll be in Genesis chapter number 45 this evening. Genesis chapter 45, one of my favorite portions of the Bible, uh, talking about the life of Joseph. Uh, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, and uh, I, I hope that you're glad I'm here. Normally, people have asked me through the years uh, since I've been doing this, and I was telling them, Brother Phil LeVon, I, I, the first time I gave uh, the, an offering to the preacher's wife, which I did this morning, right? Uh, the first time I did that, uh, I was in Crown Point, Indiana with uh, Brother Over Merle, an uh, old friend of mine. And, uh, and I told his wife, after I found out what they had taken up, I said, holy cow, if I'd have known it was that much, I wouldn't have done that. And, uh, and she was thankful. She said, why do you do that? Uh, because I'm a smart guy. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. Uh, I want to come back one day, and I know that after I'm done preaching, Phil will never have me back because he's afraid I'll take over. But LaVon will make him make me come back and so uh, i'm i'm smart enough to have figured that one out and so uh i want to come back and so that's why that's why i do that uh because i want to come back and i don't feel what really he'd never he'd never let me come back because he he said oh i can't put those folks through that again uh i i actually uh and and phil lebon can vote both uh and my wife uh, can attest to this, I've actually calmed down in my old age. Uh, I, I, was, I was rambunctious as a young guy. I did some of the dumbest things. Uh, I, I, uh, Phil, I don't know if you guys, well, I know you were there. Uh, I, had a, I had a guy, uh, the offices were out this door, and so we got ready to take up the offering, and I had uh, Tom, what was his last name? Tom, I can't, I, I, I can see his face, but Tom was his name. And I had him uh, put a ski mask on and come in the side door and uh, take a gun and hold it to my head and demand that the ushers bring the offering back and put it in a bag like we were being held up in the offering. And, uh, and, I, and I thought, man, this is just going to make a dynamic illustration. And, uh, and I... And so he, he, he took me over and held the gun to my head and walked me to the door and then left. And I walked back up to the pulpit and preached on, Will a Man Rob God? I thought it was a great illustration. Uh, after church, Bob Stamper came and took my, uh, I took my hand and said, put your hand in my pocket. And I stuck my hand down his pocket and, uh, and he had a 38. Uh, in his pocket, and he said, I had a pretty clear shot at one time, and I almost took it, and I thought, boy, that would have been a disaster. Uh, that would have been bad. I would have made the news on that one. Uh, another time, I preached the funeral of a dead church, and uh, I went to the local undertaker, and, uh, and I said, look, I need a casket. He said, what do you need a casket for? I said, don't worry about it. I just need a casket. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, uh, he said, okay. He said, just come get it. And so, uh, so me and my dad went, and we got a casket. And, uh, and we brought it. We put it up front. And, and uh, I turned the lights down, the auditorium, had them dimmed. 
and had the organ playing uh, a funeral music when everybody came in. And I preached out of Revelation uh, and preached the funeral of a dead church. Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. And, uh, and then at the end, this one I got in trouble. That wasn't too bad. I mean, we had just like a funeral service. Everything was just the same. And, uh, and then I had everybody come up and view the body. That's when it got nasty because I had a mirror in the casket. Oh. And so everybody that looked in there saw their face, and man, I had some elderly gals that just <laughs> were not happy about that. Uh, so I've, I've, I've done some dumb things in church. I've calmed down quite a bit. Uh, I, was, I was preaching with Brother Bobby Leonard down in uh, Monroe, North Carolina. And uh, it's the wildest church I was ever in my life. And I, and I was preaching, and there was a guy sitting right over here on the front row, and I got to my last point, and this fella jumped up and started hooping and started running. And I mean, man, he ran around the whole auditorium just as fast as he could run, and he came around for his first lap, and there's a guy got behind him, and they started running. And there was eventually like six of them, and they were just running. I, was, I just kept preaching, and, uh, and, they, and they were hooping and screaming and hollering and waving hankies. You say, what'd you do? I jumped down, got in line with them, and ran with them. I thought it looked like fun. I don't know what it's all about. And uh, so I've calmed down a whole lot in my, in my old age and, uh, and plan on keeping uh, that going on. I heard about a fella way down in the hills. I pastored Morristown, Tennessee for a little while. And uh, when Phil LeVon got married, uh, I told, I told uh, Phil, uh, you know, he told me, he said, I, I think I'm going to ask LeVon to marry, him, uh, marry me. And I said, better do it fast before she gets her glasses changed. <laughs> and, uh, and so he, he did, and they got married. And, uh, and I got them, I got them uh, for, their, for their wedding present. I got them a chalet mm-hmm. on Cherokee Lake. Yep. And, uh, and they went down there, and they, it was a real nice place, had a, had a balcony and all that stuff. Well, down in the hills, there are some people way down there in East Tennessee that, uh, that just didn't know a lot about modern conveniences. And, and there was an old fella, him and his wife lived back in the hills, and they had never seen a mirror. And uh, this old fellow was out in the woods hunting one day, and he, and he looked down, and he saw something shiny, and he reached down, and he picked it up, and he looked at it, and it was a mirror, and when he looked at it, he said, well, I'll be. There's a picture of my old daddy. He was so happy he had found the picture of his daddy. But he didn't want anybody to know, so he stuck it in his pocket, and he took it home, and, uh, and late in the night, his wife kept wondering, what's he hiding from me? And, and so late in the night, he got up, and he, and he lit a candle, and he, and he, and he went, to, uh, uh, went into the bathroom there, went out to the outhouse, and he'd hid it out there, and he brought it back in, he took it up in the attic, and he, and he was going to hide it under a bunch of uh, old clothes they had up in the attic. And he t- held the candle up and looked at it and said, man, my daddy was a handsome guy. And he, and he stuck it under the pile of clothes. Well, his wife kept thinking he's hiding something. And so after he fell asleep, she slipped up into the attic and started digging through those clothes. And she pulled out the mirror, and you got to remember, she'd never seen a mirror either. And she looked at it, and she said, uh-huh, so that's the old hag he's been running around. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now the Bible tells us the Word of God is like a mirror. And so what I want you to do tonight is when you look into the mirror of the Word of God, realize it's not God talking about somebody else. The old hag you're looking at you. The old hag I'm preaching about to me. Uh, it's who we are. Amen? And, and we don't need to be pointing the finger at others. How many of you are from West Virginia? Eh, quite a few. How many of you are from Kentucky? You got roots in Kentucky. Man, there just aren't many. You know, there are more Kentuckians in, in the town that I'm from uh, or close to, Middletown, Ohio. There, that's where I was born. There are more Kentuckians in Middletown, Ohio than the whole state of Kentucky. Everybody's from Kentucky that lives in Middletown. And, and, they, and they say the reason is they were all going to Detroit to find a job when the jobs in the coal mine got slack and they ran out of gas in Middletown, so that's where they stayed. And, uh, and so I, I heard about there were so many people coming from Kentucky to Ohio to get jobs that on the bridge uh, crossing the Ohio River, the highway patrol set up uh, a roadblock and unless you were skilled labor, they weren't letting you come in. And so they stopped this old boy and they said, son, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to Ohio to get me a job. And he said, well, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm a woodcutter. He said, man, we don't need any woodcutters in Ohio. We got more woodcutters than we know what to do with. Just turn around and go back home. And the old boy said, well, you let my dad, or you let my brother through. And he said, well, who's your brother? He said, that car up in front of me. He said, yeah, but he said, he's a pilot. And he said, yeah, but he can't pilot if I don't cut it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to try to cut a little wood tonight, okay? Uh, Genesis chapter number 45, and uh, I don't even know how much of this to read because there's so much of it that's so good. Uh, so I want to start uh, down in verse number 24. And, and I know we're going to cover the whole chapter, uh, but in verse 24, Joseph is going to send his brothers back to uh, Israel to, uh, Joseph's in Egypt, and he's going to send his brothers back into Israel to bring his father and their family down to Egypt so that they can survive the famine that has hit the land. And if you know anything about the story of Joseph, his brothers uh, sold him into slavery, uh, and Joseph ended up in Egypt, and now he's elevated himself uh, to uh, to the right hand of Pharaoh. And so uh, he's sending his brothers back down. And I want you to notice in verse 24, he sent his brethren away and they departed. And he said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. Man, what a great passage of Scripture. David said how good and pleasant it is the brethren dwell together in unity. Mm -hmm. See that you fall not out by the way. Look, you guys are going to be taking a long, hard, difficult journey. You've had the tendency to get jealous of each other. I'm proof of that. As you go back up into Israel to get 
dad, see that you fall not out by the way. That's good. Verse 25, they went up out of the land of Egypt, or out of Egypt, and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. You know what the message that we have to tell the world today is? Very simply, Jesus is alive. Amen. He's alive. He's, he's, he was dead, but He's alive. Amen. And a lot of times when we tell people Jesus is alive, they're not going to believe us. They're going to, they're going to be like Jacob and their heart is going to faint and they're going to believe, they're not, uh, believe us not. Verse 27, And they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said unto them. Listen, here's the thing that you've got to get if you're ever going to be a real soul winner. You've got to do it with the Word of God. Amen. Uh, they told him the words of Joseph. Now Joseph is one of the most perfect types of yes, Jesus sir. in all of the Old yes, Testament. Yes. They told him the words of Joseph. Listen, it's the Word of God Amen. that has that's quick and sharp and more powerful than any two-edged sword. It's the Word of God that cuts asunder to the dividing of soul and spirit. It's the Word of God that can pierce the stony heart. It's the Word of God that can crush the stony heart. It's the Word of God that can penetrate the soul of man. It's the Word of God that creates faith. How shall they, how shall they believe on Him on whom they've not heard? And, and what do they need to hear? They need to hear the Word of God. So hide the Word of God in your heart. Amen so that you can be the person God wants you to be. And then notice what it says. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. What a wonderful, wonderful story. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, look into this great chapter. Father in heaven, I thank you for these folks that are here tonight. I thank you, Lord, for uh, Brother Phil. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his steadfastness, for the time that he spent laboring for you in this place. God, I pray that you give him fruit that would abound and fruit that would abide for the labor that he's put forth. God, I pray that you'll do something in this place that is beyond the comprehension of our puny brains. Lord, help us to see something here that we'll know is God's work and that it would be marvelous in our eyes. Lord, I pray that you'd change us to impact our world for you. Now, Lord, I, I don't know these folks. There may be people here tonight that don't know Christ. 
If there are, I pray that you'd convict them and that you'd bring them to faith. Lord, there may be some that uh, are just indifferent, cold, calloused, drifting through life and not committed to you. God, I pray you get a hold of them and shake them tonight. God, give us a vision of what breaks your heart, which is the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God, may the world break our hearts. God, may we see that there are people in India, people in Bangladesh, people in Africa, people in Central and South America, people in Canada, people in Australia, people in China, people in Russia, people in the Ukraine, people in, in Greenland and Iceland and Sweden and Norway and all the countries of the world that have never had the opportunity of hearing about your grace and love and mercy. God, there are probably people who live on our streets that have never had a clear presentation of the gospel of Christ. I pray you break our hearts as your heart was broken when you sent your son to take care of the sin problem that existed in this world. God, break our hearts. Change us. Give us boldness and a burden and a commitment to do your bidding. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you know anything about the Bible or anything about this story, what happened here is that Joseph's brethren had sold him into slavery, right? And, and he ended up in Egypt, and a lot of bad things happened along the way uh, to Joseph. But when he got there, God caused there to be a famine in the land, and when the famine hit, uh, it didn't just affect Egypt, it affected the world. And could I submit to you today that there's a famine in our world? Not, not a famine for bread, but a famine for hearing the Word of God, That's right. the Old Testament prophet said. And so there was a famine in the land and it affected everywhere. And, and so Jacob and the sons that had sold Joseph into uh, slavery and then went back and lied to their father and said, yes, look, Joseph's dead. Uh, he's been attacked. Uh, and, and here's his jacket covered with blood. Uh, he's dead. We buried him. He's gone. Now they're starving. And so Jacob said, look, we've got to do something. He said, go down to Egypt. And even though God told Abraham and his seed to stay in the land, they continually... Abraham went down to Egypt twice. Right. Jacob goes down to Egypt now because that's kind of what happens in the life 
of God's people. We get, we get in trouble and rather than turn to the God of heaven who's able to help us, we look to the world to take care of what we need. And listen, I'm going to tell you, the world's never your answer. The world's never your answer. It's never the answer to go to the world to solve a problem of life because the author of life is our Father and He that gave us eternal life will give us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We just got to learn to trust Him. You see, David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. And so God's going to take care of us. But we in the flesh, we always, it seems, turn to the world to solve our problems. And that's what Jacob was doing. And so Jacob sends the boys down and they get down into Egypt and Joseph had been sent by God to prepare, uh, to take care of them during this time. So even when they did the wrong thing, God was going to take care of them, do right by them. Isn't that amazing that even though we can, we can get so far out of line with God that He's still good to us? I mean, even when you just flat out disobey, God's still good. His grace is still available. And I know God chastises, but I'm going to tell you, God is able to take care of us and wants to take care of us. And so they get down there and Joseph goes through. There's all kind of things going on. And, and finally, Joseph reveals himself to his brethren. In, if you look with me, in, uh, in verse number uh, 1, it says at the end of that verse, Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. Joseph let them know who he was. Right. And let me say to you that the one thing that God's people need to figure out real quick, like right now, is we need to know who Jesus is. We need to understand who He is. He's not this, this far off, distant, uh, unconnected being. He's, he's our friend. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's, he's our provider. And, and we kind of get him off in space somewhere. But look, he is available for us and he's always right there waiting on us to recognize who he is. So he made himself known unto them and of course they became afraid. Uh, Look at verse number 3, the end of that verse. It says they were troubled at his presence and Joseph says, look, don't worry about it, fellas. Look at verse 5 at the end of that verse. For God did send me before you to preserve life. Joseph said, guys, look, I know you meant it for my harm, but God turned it for good. And so uh, I'm here. Don't worry about it. I'm not a vengeful person. Man, wouldn't it be great if we had church people who weren't vengeful? Yes, sir. Well, so-and-so did me wrong. Look, nobody's done you as wrong as you did Jesus. I've had people do me wrong. But nobody's done me worse than I did him. And yet he loved me. And if that's what God's willing to do for me, then I ought to be willing to do it for others. Amen? So he said, God did send me to preserve life. Go down to verse number 8. So it was not you that sent me hither, but God. 
My, what a powerful... I'm going to tell you, this chapter is just chuck full. I mean, good night. I, I, you can load your wagon up here and come back for seconds and thirds. That's right. He said, it was not you that sent me here. It's not, it's not you that put me in this position. It's God that put me here. God knew what was going to happen way before it happened. He knew the beginning from the end. And so what's happening to you right now, look, just accept it and understand that all things, all things, all things work together for good to them who love God and those that are called according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28. You need to begin to understand that where you're at right now is where God has put you right now. Where you're at right now and the problems you face right now, God has allowed for you to be there right now. And the reason He's allowed you to be where you are right now is because He wants to sustain you and He wants to give you the grace to get through it so that the comfort wherewith you yourselves are comforted Amen. of God, you can help somebody else along the way. That's good. I lost a little girl. Yep. Sweetest little girl you ever met in your life. Yep. Yes, Looked just like her daddy. No, she didn't. She yeah. wasn't that ugly. She was a cute little gal. Yes, and just sweet as honey. She went on a, on a field trip at school, and uh, there was a little girl, Ashley Stevenson, who was, who was uh, uh, diabetic, couldn't eat with the rest of the kids, had to give herself shots, kind of bigger. Nobody really liked this little girl. And Leah was like the life of the party. Yep. I mean, man, she was, she was so much fun to be around. She drove a, she drove a, 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 a go-kart through a split rail fence and knocked her teeth out. Both of her front teeth. Knocked them plumb out. She had false teeth. Her front two teeth were false. And they were having a, a pep rally for a basketball game, and Leah went and pulled her teeth out. Nobody even knew she had them, and said, Okay, y'all, we're going to have us a chair. Just <laughs> had everybody rolling. I mean, that's who she was. And this little girl that nobody liked, she, was, she couldn't find anybody to stay in the room with her. And Leah said, Look, she went to her and she said, Ashley, look, nobody really likes me. Will you stay in the room with me? And this little girl would go sit in the stairwell and eat her lunch because she had to eat different food than everybody else. Leah said, Ashley, I really don't like that food anybody else eats. It would be okay if I sat here and ate with you. And that's who she was. Yeah. Car wreck, she was killed. I'm not going to go into the whole story. It's bad. Yeah. It, you're talking about a bad day. Man, that's a bad day. And you're sitting in the hospital, sitting in, a, in an emergency or in an in a, in intensive care unit, and all you can hear is, for three days. Doctor said, there's nothing we can do. I said, well, I understand you don't think there's anything you could do, but if you could do something, what would you do? He said, we'd put a shunt in her head. I said, put a shunt in her head try to drain the fluid off her brain. 
after doing that a day, he said, there's nothing we can do. And I said, well, I understand there's nothing you could do, but if you could do something, what would you do? He said, we'd put her in a coma and see if that would relax the, uh, the pressure in her head. I said, I said, okay, put her in a coma. He said, well, it's not going to do any good. I said, look, Doc, I'm paying the bills. This is my little girl. You're going to try what I ask you to try. He came back the next day, and he said it didn't do any good. He says, what happens? The brain swells, and it pushes down on the brain stem, which rests in the top of your spine. And what it does, it puts pressure. And it cuts the, uh, the blood flow off to the brain. And he said, she's been like that now, Jeff, three days. I said, okay, I'll tell you what, take a saw and cut the top of her head and let the pressure off. He said, it won't do any good. We can't do that. He said, if you don't make the decision to take her off life support, I'm making the decision. I said, buddy, I'm not making that decision. He said, okay, I will. Guess what? The state wouldn't let him because her brain was in a chromatic state. So it came to him and he said, look, they're not gonna let me do it, but she's, she's gonna, her body's gonna start decaying. I said, man, you gotta prove to me that there's no way. So they took her down, they injected dye into her blood vessels. And, and it was a radioactive dye. They put it in her blood vessels. They x-rayed her. And the, I went down. She was laying on the table. I, he came up and he said, we just see there's no brain. Uh, there's no blood getting the brain. I said, oh, I haven't seen it. You haven't proven anything to me, bub. He said, come on down. I went down into that basement of that hospital in that cold room. And I looked up on the screen and you could see the blood in every vein in her body until it got to right here. No oxygen getting to her brain. So I met with family and we decided to unhook it. Man, the longest five minutes of my life was from the time they unhooked the respirator until she took her last breath. Terrible. I was in a bad way during that time. I had a friend of mine come up and lay his hand on my shoulder. He said, Jeff, we know all things work together for good to them that love God and those that are called according to his purpose. I turned around, I looked at him, I said, buddy, unless you can explain that to me right now, it'd probably be a good thing for you to get out of here before I turn around and punch you in the mouth. He said, that's a carnal thing to say. It's where I was. I had another guy, dumbest thing I ever had said to me. Another guy came in and said, well, Jeff, you got to remember, Job lost all of his kids in one whack. Turn around and said, man, are you an imbecile or what? That was a bad day. I mean, I was, I was mad. I'd be driving my car down the road and I'd just start crying. I'd get out and I'd kick the door. Why'd you do that? I was mad. I was mad at God. 
I still don't understand it all. But I was able to sit on the phone the other night with a friend of mine whose 33-year-old son had his head smashed in between two four-by-fours, smashed his head, ripped his face off, been laying in a coma for three weeks. I was able to say, Jim, I know how you feel, buddy. Here's what I can tell you. It'll hurt you the rest of your life. But God will give you opportunity to help others that are where you're at. Amen. I don't know what you're going through. But I know this, God's designed it. God's allowed it. God's permitted it. And the word of God says in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know what it didn't say? For everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What I can't thank God for, I can thank Him in. The situation I find myself in, I may not be happy with, but I can tell you that in any situation, I'm still saved. God's still God. His grace is still real. He still loves me. And I'll be saved throughout all of eternity because of what Christ did for me on Calvary. And so in everything, I can give thanks. I've used illustration for years. Picture me right now standing in a big bowl this high, full of pig manure. You know, there's nothing else, there's nothing stinks quite like hog manure. That's right. Nothing. So I'm standing in a in a bowl full of pig manure, and I gotta raise my head and stand on my tiptoes to keep it from seeping into my lips. You'd like to do that, wouldn't you? No? Uh, here's what I'm going to tell you. I would never say, Oh, God, thank you for this bowl of hog manure you got me standing in. I just love it. But in the midst of that bowl of hog manure, I can say, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. Amen. What you can't thank God for, you can thank God in, and God will. God has placed you in the circumstance and the situation that you're in right now because He knows in your future you're going to need it. What it said in verse number 8, it's not you that sent me hither, but God. Then notice what he said in verse 9. Haste ye and go. You know what he said? Hey, get after it, man. Get moving. What are you guys waiting on? They're starving up there and I've got food down here. 
Hurry up. Get up there. Get him down here. Good. You know what I'd say to you? Hurry up. Let's go. Let's get it done. Let's go tell them people about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, it's a long journey. Look what it says in verse 13. Haste ye and go in verse 9. Verse 13, And ye shall tell my Father of all my glory in Egypt, and ye shall make haste, it says. And then, look down in verse 17. Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, lay your beasts, and go, and get ye into the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households, and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now there are commanded, this do ye, take ye wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come, and regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. And look in verse, the end of verse 21, and Pharaoh gave them provision for the way. <laughs> this is just almost too good to even think about, Richard. He said, look, Get up there, hurry up, go up there, tell them what's down here. Get after it, guys. I don't want you to go, I don't want you to worry about your stuff. You know, we got so much stuff. Do you think about how much stuff you got? Yes, sir. You know, one of the worst days of my life is the garage sale in my neighborhood. Because what's happening in a garage sale are people are taking their stuff, the junk that they don't want, and they're putting it out there hoping somebody else will take their junk and buy it and take it home so their stuff can just pile up more. Yep. We've got piles and piles of stuff. We've got closets full of stuff. Toolboxes full of stuff. We got stuff everywhere. He said, look, don't worry about your stuff. And then he gave them provision. He gave them what they needed to make the journey. And he gave them what they needed to convince uh, Jacob to, uh, that Joseph was alive. He gave them what they needed. I want to say to you that God is able to give you what you need Amen. so that you can do what God wants you to do. God is able, listen to this, God is able to make all, all grace abound toward you that ye always, having all sufficiency, may abound unto every good work. That's right. Man, you talk about a powerful verse. That's one. You say, well, what am I supposed to do? Look, you quit worrying about your stuff and worry about God's stuff. You stop worrying so much about your business and worry about God's business. You stop worrying so much about your house and start worrying as much about God's house. Right. What are you doing to advance the work of God and to get those that are separated from Jesus from where they are to where He is? Good. And what God has given you, He's given you to convince the world that Jesus is alive. Amen. And so they make the journey. They get up there, man, they got wagons full of food and wagons full of provision, wagons full of food and wagons full of clothes. And they get up there and Joseph, Jacob says, Ah, man, I... 
You guys showed me his coat. I know he's dead. Remember, Peter and John, they get to the tomb. John stops. John's a little bit like me. If I go to the graveyard, I'm not going to jump down the grave. I heard about, I heard about an, old, an old fellow who walked through the graveyard late one night and they dug a grave the day before and he fell down the hole and he tried to get out and it was cold and it was late. And finally he just said, man, I'm going to sit down here and go to sleep. And he sat down and went to sleep. Later that night, this old drunk come walking through the graveyard, fell down in the hole and he started climbing, trying to get out and couldn't get out. And, and this old boy said, looked up at him and said, man, you can't get out of here. But he did. <laughs> John stopped, started peeking in, and all of a sudden Peter comes lumbering up behind and busted right through and went in. And you know what they did? They saw the grave clothes lie. We knew he he died. We saw him wrap him up. We saw him take him down off the cross. We know that Joseph of Arimathea borrowed, uh, loaned him this tomb for a little while. The grave clothes are here, but where's he at? And they didn't believe. Until Jesus met some of them on the road to Emmaus and some different places and started telling them all things in the Scripture concerning Himself, and then they believed. That's right. You see, what we're supposed to do is this. We're supposed to be like Pharaoh and we're supposed to give the provision for the people that we send to let the world know that Jesus is alive. We can get a scriptural truth for missions out of a heathen Pharaoh. Yes, sir. How can you do that, preacher? I'll tell you how you can do it. The children of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of light. That's right. Yeah. Pharaoh knew that for the message to be validated, there had to be some goods that went along with the words. Wow. Well, it's a good statement. That's right. They'll know we're Christians. By our love. Love gives. Yep, exactly. Look, you want to win a waiver to Christ. You can do that. You can give them a track, tell them about Christ, tell them how to be saved, and and then but if you if you try to win them to Christ and you give them a track, don't you give a little piddly dollar tip on a $30 mill, you skin flip, blaspheme the name of God by putting down nothing and, and, and robbing that poor guy who's looking for money from you to feed his family. Give! I tip 20% for bad service and more for good service. Really bad service I write a note on the receipt. If you want a tip, learn how to wait. It's 
say, you done that? Yeah, I don't do it much. I have to, I mean, I almost have to have somebody pour a pot of coffee on me to do that. Uh, but, but I'm telling you, if you're going to witness to people, you better be willing to show them something. That's right. You see, your walk talks. And your talk walks. But your walk talks a whole lot louder than your talk walks. Say that ten times real fast. You say, what do you mean by that, Brother Jeff? I'll tell you what I mean by that. What you do speaks a whole lot louder than what you say. You've got to have the goods. What was it? Look back at the end of the chapter. Look back at verse number uh, 27. They told him all the words of Joseph which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. See, it wasn't just the words. It was the goods. That's just introduction. But that's a lot. Yes, sir. Let me give you a couple things. We read Isaiah chapter 6 today. We stopped basically at verse 6. Verse 7, God said, Go and tell to Isaiah. In 2 Kings chapter 7, there are some lepers boys living outside of town. A famine's hit the land. They're going to die. They're outside the camp. Uh, they decide that they're going to go into the camp. And they said, look, why sit we here till we die? If we just stay right here where we're at, we're going to die. Let's just get up and go. And they got into town and God caused the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots in the night. And they thought, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And they all fled. And so when the lepers got into town, there's nobody there. Man, they started eating. They got their bellies full. They got gold and silver. And they found all these riches. And they're just piling it on saying, man, this is going to be awesome. We're just going to, we're going to live forever. And one of them said this, we do not well this day. That's right. It's a day of good tidings. Let us go and tell the king's household. Let me tell you something. There is not a person in this place that has it as bad. As some of the countries I've been to. I don't care how bad you've got it. I don't think anybody here missed a whole lot of meals. But looking at you, kind of like me, keep swelling up like a tick on the back of a dog's ear. Plenty of grub there. I mean, we get along pretty good. And we do not well this day. We've got a good church. We hear the word of God preached. We've got heat. We got electricity. We got air conditioning. We got carpet on the floors. I remember meeting in a in a in a flea market mm -hmm. when we first got started. 
a flea bar. We called ourselves the Church with the Hearts. <laughs> hearts flea collar. That takes up maybe a while to catch that one. And uh, and we got kicked out of the flea market, and we moved up in the world. We moved into a barn. Yeah. We met in a barn. Yes, sir. And then we put up a tent. Uh-huh. We met in a tent for I don't know about five months, Phil. At least. We were meeting in this tent while we were building our church building. It was set up right next door to it, and it was November, and we were meeting in the tent. Man, it was colder than blue blazes. Yeah. We had heaters. Uh-huh. You think I'm loud now? When I had heaters I was competing with, we cranked her up, man. I mean, I was yelling just so people could hear me. It's cold. And we weren't quite done with the building. We didn't have a carpet done. We didn't. Uh, we had most of it done, but it wasn't all done. And the building inspector came down and said, well, you're not finished yet. I'm not going to let you move in. And it had snowed about six inches the night before. I said, hey, bud, come out here. I said, see that tent right there that's about half down? That's where we're going to have church Sunday if you don't let us in this building. He said, okay, come on. Amen. We got all kind of good things going on right now. We do not well this day to hold our peace. Amen. And they said, we'll go and tell the king's household. Remember the woman at the well, Jesus met her and started talking to her about the water of life and she said give me this water and Jesus said go get your husband she said I don't have a husband he said that's true you, you've had five and the fellow you're shacking up with now is not your husband right. oh my how's this guy know so much about me because he's God yeah. that's right. and Jesus told her and she accepted yeah. and you know what she did she said I gotta go tell all these lousy fellows been taking advantage of me for all this time. That I met a man told me all things ever I did. And I want you to know something about that. She lied like the devil right after she got saved. Jesus didn't tell her all things ever she'd done. He just told her she'd been married five times or shacking up with a guy now. She said, come meet a man, show me all things ever I did. Look, your presentation doesn't have to be right. Just tell people God loves them. And if they can get saved, if they'll trust Him. Amen? Man, I've stuttered through it. Fumbled through it. Because that's not what we say anyway. It's the Spirit of God. If Joseph's brethren hadn't have went with the goods, Jacob would have died. Two things I want you to get out of this. Number one, you got the goods, Amen. you need to go. That's right. Number two, you got the goods. Give them to somebody else to help them go. That's good. Amen. That's what mission's all about. Yeah. Phil, was t- <laughs> Phil was telling me today when, when, when there were some folks got, got all upset. I'm, I'm upset. We're going to leave church. Church split. Church split. Church split been through them for. 
had a good friend, Kenny McComas, preaching a revival for a guy, and there's a song later, a guy about six foot five. Did I ever tell you about this? Got about six foot, uh, foot five song leader, and, and the preacher, Preacher looked over Brother Comus and said, man, we got some problems. Said, I got this little deacon back here, said, said he's about 5'9". He was a Marine sergeant. He thinks he's everything and a bag of chips plus the soda and everything go with it. And he wants me out. Brother Comus said, why in the world do you have me? He said, I just hope we can have a revival. And about that time, this little drill sergeant deacon jumps up and says, we're going to have a business meeting and I'm going to run it. We're going to vote the preacher out. Came and said, good night, what are we into? And this little fella comes strutting up the aisle, and a song leader, about six foot five, was sitting here like this, just thumbing through the song book. And that fella got right to the edge of the platform, put his foot on the first step, and that song leader came over and doubled up his fist and caught him under the chin and knocked him back two pews, broke the pew off the floor, and knocked the guy out. <laughs> They called the emergency squad. They come and got the guy, took him out, and the preacher gets up and said, okay, let's have church. <laughs> what in the world's wrong with people? <laughs> Try and do the work of God, and you get upset because the paint color wrong. That's preaching Brother Hudson. They got shadow boxes in the front of their church, and they voted with me there we're going to paint the shadow boxes tan or we're going to paint them white. No. Going to vote on it. No. no never. And they voted and it was 50-50. Yeah. I thought, good night, what's he going to do now? He said, Brother Jeff, you're going to decide the color. You like tan or you like white? I said, Preacher, what do you like? He said, I like white. I said, I'm a white guy. Let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what they did. I thought, good night. What a dumb thing to do. It don't matter what color you paint the shadow boxes. It doesn't matter what color the carpet is. It doesn't matter what color the pews are. It matters what your heart is. We've been blessed. Let's go and tell. We do not well. The spirit of Jacob, his father, revived. Oh, that God would do that in each one of our hearts this evening. I'm done. Let's pray. Will you stand with me? Father in heaven, I love you. I thank you for the great truths that we've looked at this evening. God, there's so much that we could have said. And I pray that what we have said has been what you once said. Lord, I pray that you challenge us to be willing to go and tell that Jesus is alive. But God, not just to go and tell, but to go and show that people can see a difference in us as we go. Lord Jesus, do a work in this place, I pray. 
And if there's someone here tonight doesn't know you, I pray this will be the day they'll say yes to the grace of God.